Welcome to Investing for Ocean Impact, the podcast making the business case for conserving our ocean. I'm Dorothy Hemm. On this podcast, we talk a lot about nature-based solutions, a term that describes actions that protect, sustainably manage and restore natural ecosystems for tackling climate change, the biodiversity crisis and sustainable development. But the devil is in the detail for actually implementing bankable nature-based solutions on the ground. So I've invited two more seasoned investors onto the podcast today to help break things down and discuss what other investments such as Infotech can offer to support nature-based solutions. I'm pleased to be joined by Yabanex Batista, Deputy Head of the UN's Global Fund for Coral Reefs. Thank you, Dorothy, for having me here with you today. As well as Jonas Skatum Svigarden, CEO of Catapult Ocean. Hi, Dorothy. Great to be here as well. Let's start by explaining a little bit where you're coming from. And Yaba, let's start with you. What exactly is the Global Fund for Coral Reefs? The Global Fund for Coral Reefs is actually a blended finance instrument that is designed to build a pipeline of what we call reef positive businesses and solutions. And we basically do this by focusing on four main pillars, protecting the most resilient reefs around the world, transforming those activities that are negative or that degrade the reefs and turning them into reef positive activities. Three, we need to start restoring coral reefs also around the world. And last but definitely not least, our fourth pillar focuses on the recovery of the communities from major shocks like climate change and the COVID pandemic. So you mentioned blended finance. Can you quickly explain what does that look like? Yes. So in the context of the fund, we take grant funding from philanthropies and partner governments, and we use those resources as pure grants, concessional loans, technical assistance, and we use those instruments to de-risk and incubate these reef-positive businesses in order to attract private sector investors that may be interested then in scaling up those businesses and making them sustainable. Jonas, do you operate the same way or what is Catapult Ocean? So we're a global impact fund, so we're investing globally for ocean impact. And we do that through early stage investments on behalf of fund investors like family offices, foundations, pension funds, corporate ventures and the like. Um, We structure funds and we invest into several domains in the oceans. So in the energy space, we invest in offshore wind, solar, wave, tidal. In the food space, we're focusing more about the no animal harm approach, uh, investing heavily into seaweeds, algaes, and lab-grown and lab-based proteins. And in the transportation side, we have new fuel types, electrification, hydrogen. Within ocean health, we we put a lot into that, uh, whether or not it's uh, artificial reefs, uh, marine protected areas, illegal fishing, and so on. And what type of ticket size are we talking about? How big are your investments? 
So our initial ticket size is uh, between $150,000 and $500,000. So we're accelerating and investing in at least 10 new companies a year at this stage. Secondly, we're also doing follow-on investments at the later stage with between $1.5 million and $4 million. So, yeah, but when you hear this, is this a bit the same strategy that you guys are following or are you deploying capital differently? Well, I think when I hear this, uh, my first thought is that, Jonas, you and I should talk after this podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, this is quite interesting, Dorothy and Jonas. Well, in, within the structure of the GFCR and, and our coalition, we have right now two main instruments. One, which is the grant fund, which basically does what I explained before. But then we have also the GFCR Investment Fund, which is managed by one of our partners, Pegasus Capital Advisor. And they are basically looking at doing equity investments, but their ticket sizes uh, will tend to be larger, 5 million, 10 million or higher. Nonetheless, within the, the scope of work of the GFCR, what we are trying to do is build a reef investment ecosystem. So just working with our um, investment fund is not the only thing that we're doing. We're actually looking for other partners like Catapult, actually, to help us address and support smaller ticket sizes investments. So we don't really have like a, like a specific formula of which are the types of investments that, that we focus on. Um, of course, Pegasus does have a particular niche within that, but we are looking again for those partners. And I can give you a, an example here, um, Dorothy, from our Fiji program very recently, actually, they have come up with about eight deals that the potential investment that they require ranges from three quarters of a million dollars to $36 million. And the types of investments that they are looking at include um, ecotourism, aquaculture, um, fisheries. So we are building a, a very wide array of pipeline opportunities that we can then support. But in our case, even though all of this is linked to the ocean economy and to the blue economy, all of our investments need to tie back to supporting coral reef protection in some way or another, and also the communities that depend on them. And it's really interesting how Yona said that Catapult is looking for ticket sizes between 150K to 500K, while the Global Fund for Coral Reefs is going for these much bigger investments of $5 million or more, right? Um, so there really is this huge gap that we have to fill, isn't there? Indeed, we have seen that gap. And we do need to find then the investors that can come at that level. Because it's actually quite interesting in our case that what we are seeing is that at that level, we do have a, a very interesting community engagement with the people that are directly involved in coral reef conservation and management of that natural resource. But the fact that we may have a smaller ticket size doesn't mean that the work is less. We still have to run the studies on baseline to collect data, we need to work on the policy enabling conditions so that these investments can be uh, fruitful as well. And of course, some of the work that needs to be done will be different depending on the investment. But what we are seeing is that the, the amount of work that is required, the amount of technical assistance that may be needed is not necessarily smaller just because the ticket size of the investment is smaller. And on the investment side of the Global Fund for Coral Reefs, have any investments been made? 
Um, under the GFCR Investment Fund, that fund is is currently being set up and pipeline deals are being identified at the moment. So the investment fund has not made um, deals yet. The grant side of the fund is is working, again, as I mentioned, in, in looking for additional opportunities. I think in, in, in this case, our Fiji program has identified a number of potential deals. And I would say that our programs in the Bahamas and also the Mesoamerican Reef are the other two that are most advanced. However, in terms of what are the challenges, what we are finding is that being investment ready is not as easy as it sounds. It's difficult. You need to train communities, buy new equipment, figure out if that equipment is what those communities actually need. Um, you may need to do some, some convincing education process. So it's not something that happens overnight. Um, we often see that the baselines for us to be able then to monitor the impact on coral reefs are not always there. There's data missing. So there's a lot of um, enabling conditions pre-work that we need to do. And in other instances, we are finding that the policy framework within a country is not necessarily conducive to, to then deploying um, private sector resources to scale up that pipeline. So that's those, those are challenges that we have identified already in this first two years of, of the fund. And we are working with our partners to see how we can channel additional resources to help support those particular areas so that then we can actually help the private sector um, to come in. Because if we don't do that, then friends like Jonas will, will not feel enticed to come into the picture because there are too many barriers for them to come in. Well, Jonas, over to you. Do you see similar barriers? Yes, absolutely. But I think we're on exactly the same note here. We're Catapult was first co-created as a platform and an accelerator to engage with others. So we're partnering with other corporates, other uh, NGOs and the like to help these innovations. So looking at uh, a couple of thousand companies a year is certainly opportunities that's uh, fitting other funders better than us. Um, and we want to make that platform and, and, and make that happen. That's also why we... Uh, we're one of the co-creators of Thousand Ocean Startups, a coalition pledging and, and joining forces to accelerate and to back uh, 1,000 ocean startups uh, during the oceans decade. Dorothy, if I can interject quickly here, because I think Jonas is bringing up an issue that, that we also see, and, and that is the, the role of partnerships and, and those collaborations in making all these ocean impact investing work and what we are seeing out there in the water is that we have a lot of entities that bring that financial expertise or investment expertise. And then we have the entities and the partners that bring the conservation. And those two conversations um, often don't necessarily meet eye to eye. And impact investing, blended financing is, is so different from what the world is used to that without that collaboration, we are definitely not going to make it work. And, and going back to your point on nature-based um, solutions and, and why they are important, I think without that collaboration, those nature-based solutions are not going to be successful. We, we need to find those new definitions to bring these two conversations of impact investing, blended finance, and conservation to, to actually um, talk to each other and, and work better for people and for nature. What type of projects do you have in mind that could actually 
generate these financial flows while at the same time having a direct positive uh, impact on core reefs? Yeah. Um, for example, one of the business archetypes or, or models that we are looking at is through supporting ecotourism activities, you know, partnering with hotels, either through the, the grant fund of the Global Fund for Coral Reefs or through the investment fund or other partners, we can help create new financial mechanisms that support marine protected areas. And, and doing that in partnership with hotels or hotel associations would, would be crucial because, of course, um, tourists and the resources they bring are, are key for that. Another example could be the work that we are doing in the in the Philippines, one of the initial interventions that is being designed is related to creating a sea cucumber farm that works with women in creating new um, alternative livelihoods and sources of income for them to be able to, to survive. And, and sea cucumbers are, are a key component of coral reef ecosystems in this part of the Philippines where, where we work. Jonas, back to you. I mean, hearing those examples, is that similar to your portfolio or do you have also more tech-related solutions or others that could help foster the wave for nature-based solutions? We, we have a lot of examples, I think, uh, in this intersection. One of the, our portfolio companies there is an underwater dive camera. And whilst you, you rent, uh, rent out cameras for divers and tourists on, on diving sites, you also collect data. But... Uh, also want to go back to the note of uh, ocean data collection and understanding and uh, understanding our oceans in a better way. We're investing into technologies enabling that to happen. So whether or not it's ocean data collectors or it's um, connectivity at sea, invested into 5G, uh, enabling uh, us to be there collecting data in the, in the more remote places. Uh, we're also looking at underwater technology, cameras, visuals, sensors. And it's also very complementary to the blue carbon space where many are looking into that. And when you speak to your investors and, and your committee, is it easier to sell them a tech solution or a nature-based solutions? It has to be scalable. So technology has a very good trait of being quite scalable. But also lately, uh, we've also seen investors caring more about biodiversity, more about um, the environmental impact. So we're looking also for massive biodiversity impact. So how do you broker nature-based solutions to investors, Yaba? I think you may be referring to the notion that because we are looking at investing in nature, there are going to be less, potentially less returns compared to other types of investments. Yes, um, I actually, I would like to challenge that. I, I think we, we are seeing around the world already examples that show us that investing in nature doesn't mean less return. Um, I think there are studies, for example, from Convergence Finance and, and other actors that are analyzing this data that show that it is as rentable to invest in nature as to invest in other kinds of, of industries. Plus, we get the positive impact of safeguarding all the ecosystems that support our life. And that's really the future. It's the present and it is the future as well. And I'm challenging you back. And yet it is so difficult to find the projects and get them online, right? That, that is right. I, I think maybe we are, we are looking at right now us being in a, in a transition phase. I think there is a lot of uncertainty sometimes in terms of you know, what is the guidance that I should follow? Um, 
what is actually a nature positive investment or a nature-based solution investment? How do I measure it? We need to have better standards in terms of providing information to, again, friends like, like Jonas so that they know, okay, yeah, this is what a nature-based solution investment means. This is what I need to do so that the investment community can actually move with a lot more certainty. I think the monitoring and evaluation aspects, which were something that Jonas was just referring to, are, are another part. If, if investors don't understand and don't know how they need to measure their impact, they're going to be less um, amenable to the idea of, of, of moving into, into those kinds of investments because they don't know how to measure what everybody's telling them that they need to measure. So I think we, we need to work through this transition. Um, hopefully, it's not going to be a super long transition worldwide, but I think we, we are moving on the right direction, um, hopefully. <laughs> Could you speak a bit to that in terms of what you see as issues or also what the Global Fund for Coral Reef does in terms of supporting better enabling conditions? I think um, when we talk about the development of reef positive businesses, particularly if we're looking at this, the smaller scale or medium scale type of businesses, which are often the ones that are gonna lift people more out of poverty and, and provide them with more direct and more immediate benefits, we, we need to make sure that those communities that are entrepreneurs, they understand how to do business planning. They need to be able to do market studies and, and they don't necessarily have the skills for that. That's where a fund like ours can come in and support that process so that they really understand what their business should be doing. So that is, 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 is one area. Another area where, where we can support is that sometimes for certain types of interventions to take place for private sector actors to come in, there are policy requirements that are not necessarily in place. There may be licensing issues that need to be addressed at a country level, and we can come in and support policy aspects as well through technical assistance or other ways of deploying grant resources to tackle that policy barrier. And Jonas, I mean, your your projects are to some degree in, in Europe, but you're also venturing into emerging markets. Sort of where do you see the difference or challenges that somewhere in a more emerging market context arise compared to Europe or the US? Most of our, our deals have been in Europe and, and the US, though we have uh, invested into waste management in Myanmar, seaweed in Puerto Rico, illegal fishing in Morocco. So um, we, we tailor make our program and our accelerator program uh, with local industry experts. So we don't necessarily believe in like classroom exercises, very generic help and accelerator approach. We believe in helping a regional companies. Uh, with regional problems, though always looking for the global scale and, and the possibility to scale to the other continents. And we want to do that s same approach uh, in the oceans, targeting Southeast Asia, understanding their needs better, understanding and, and really activating the ecosystem regionally. And, and we really think that it makes sense for us to be locally present instead of in our headquarters in, in Norway and our, my colleagues uh, across Europe and US. And picking up on the topic of bringing these investments to scale and specifically nature-based 
solutions to scale. Do you feel there is, in terms of environmental and social impacts, a limitation to how big these projects can or should be? No, not really. Um, there could be biodiversity um, thresholds in their scalability, but uh, we're looking at solutions that have a almost an exponential possibility of scaling. I think we've only scratched the surface for some of these uh, solutions. And yeah, by thinking about nature-based solutions, coastal community and scale, do you think there is a limit to scale? I think there's there's always going to be a limit to scale. I mean, the, the world is not infinite, um, definitely not our natural resources. I think what we need to change is the way in, in which we incorporate natural resources into our economic equation. And we definitely need to scale that up. Um, it should be at the center, at the heart of every economic decision that we take, either at a local level, national level, or international level, because that is really the, the limit. Um, we cannot think anymore, in my view, about infinite economic growth when we are actually bound by a finite amount of environmental and natural resources and the services that they provide to humanity. So that's why I think, I mean, that there are limits to scale in, in some ways from an economic uh, growth perspective. So when we think about our investments and investments of, of others within this space, eventually, I think there will be a, there will be a limit because the, the world is not infinite. But at the moment, the sky is the limit when it comes to opportunity. So I mean, right now, <laughs> we are so far from that limit that, yes, we, we definitely have an incredible amount of opportunity and we can definitely scale up um, for a very long time until we, we hit that ceiling. So what's the next big thing that you're looking forward to working with you and the partners on the Global Fund for Coral Reefs? Well, right now we have eight programs that have been approved in the grant fund of the Global Fund for Coral Reefs. We are looking at establishing a new cohort of, of programs and launching them in 2023 and 2024. Um, our original list of, of potential partner countries includes 34 countries. Right now we're looking at developing this initial pipeline in 25 countries. So we're very excited about that. Also for the future, um, we think that working with technology is going to be crucial, particularly in the area of coral reef restoration. And for us to be able to really scale up coral reef restoration efforts worldwide on time, we are going to need the help of technology. And that's definitely going to be crucial. Yeah, final input from you, Jonas. What, what are you excited about the next frontier for ocean investments? Currently, we have our cohort accelerator cohort running. So that's a boost of energy to be working with uh, 10 ocean tech founders across the world. That, uh, that uh, keeps me up at night, but also uh, making me busy. But it's certainly a lot of energy and a lot of hope for, for the future um, or long term. We're looking to make impact investments in the ocean mainstream um, having the generalist climate investor investing more into the oceans. Uh, I think we're seeing early signs uh, of that happening. We're always fundraising uh, for our companies and our own fund and hoping to catalyze um, some hundred billion dollars into ocean impact adventures the next uh, or during the oceans decade. 
and continue to back um, 150 ocean mentors globally. It's uh, big ambitions, but uh, I think uh, it's certainly within the opportunity set. Thank you to both my guests this week, Jabanegs Batista and Jonas Skadum Svigarden. While this year's climate conference, COP27 in Egypt, is looming on the horizon, keep an eye out for our next episode where we're talking about blue bombs. They've had huge press recently with major deals involving the governments of the Seychelles, Belize and Barbados. But how do they actually work? And will they be the future of financing ocean conservation? Investing for Ocean Impact is a fresh air production on behalf of IUCN, the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. It was produced by Phil Sansom with production assistance from Kamal Joseph. To find out more about the subject, visit our website, bluenaturalcapital.org. I'm Dorothy Herr. Thank you for listening.